The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Thanks for joining us online. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, log in and, and walk through a message. We start a new series today called Counting Chickens. Now, as we start the series, the idea is most of us have heard the phrase, don't count your chickens before they hatch. And the general idea of that phrase is don't get too excited about something that's not a sure thing, or don't get too excited about something that isn't yet or hasn't yet happened. It has everything to do with anticipation, the idea that something is coming that you anticipate. And so when you think about that, why would we do a series called Counting Chickens? The simple truth is we all anticipate something in our lives. We have certain dreams or hopes or goals, ways of processing that we look forward to something in the future. And that's just normal. That's just the way that we're wired. We all have that, whether we can verbalize them or not. But what I want to talk about today is what happens in the in-between from the time now where we're at currently and the idea of that dream being fulfilled, what happens in the in-between. A a mentor of mine um, years ago shared a story about being on the 5 freeway, I-5 in LA when he was younger, and he's on the freeway and he's going 60, 65 miles an hour, and it's sunny out, and he's got the top down on his car, and it's gorgeous, and he's enjoying life, and all of a sudden as he's listening to the radio, the traffic report comes on, and the reporter on the traffic says, hey, at this place on I-5, at this exit on the 5, there's an accident, traffic's crazy, avoid the area, try another route, you know, do whatever you need to do to not go that way. Well, the the guy on the, the traffic report is talking about right where he's at, and he's going 65 miles an hour going, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. So he continues going down the 5 freeway, only to find out a little ways down the road, that traffic reporter was exactly right. And, and the idea, the story that my mentor was trying to share is just that God is like the guy who can see everything. And here we are breezing along in life, thinking everything's great and going the certain way we think we ought to go when God actually knows better, when God actually sees better. It reminds me of a few years ago, my wife and I were celebrating our anniversary. We went to Long Beach uh, in Washington on the coast. It's about four and a half hours from where we live. And um, we're coming back, and there was a huge storm. And, uh, and I wanted to get back for a preseason Seahawks game, which don't even get me started about the Seahawks right now. I'm a little sideways. But um, getting, wanted to get back to watch a preseason game, which isn't a huge deal. But on the way back, what should have taken four and a half hours because of this huge storm actually ended up taking about eight hours. But there was a point where we were coming up I-5 and then past Tacoma and getting towards Seattle when I'm like, hey, this traffic's bad enough. Why don't we take 405, thinking we'll go around, and 405 was terrible. So all of a sudden, we're literally in Kirkland in some random neighborhood. Well, I had used Google Maps, I had used Waze, and basically decided, all right, look, I know better, let's go this way, let's go that way, and we're literally in traffic in a neighborhood because it was so bad. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, here's what I know. We've all done something like that. We think we know better than the wisdom of of, of another perspective that actually is greater than ours. We're not listening to a parent's wisdom. We're not listening to the wisdom of a mentor. 
We're, we're not hearing what a coach has to say, and the list is endless. We've all done it on this level too. When God gives us a certain wisdom, when we know a certain direction that we ought to walk, but we choose to not go that direction for whatever reason, and we'll talk about that here in a few moments, we choose to do things our own way. We think we know better, and what we do is we end up reaping a whirlwind of problems because we choose our way over God's way. What I love about Scripture is that that plight is not so unfamiliar to the, to the characters we see in Scripture, to these individuals that lived and walked through certain Lessons. If you're looking for a spot in Scripture, we're going to land uh, Genesis chapter 12. But if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write down Genesis 12, Genesis 16, Genesis 20, and Genesis 26. So in, in Genesis, it's chapter 12, 16, 20, and 26. And we're going to be here for about five hours as we walk through all of these chapters. So I'm just kidding. But um, I want you to take a look real quick at Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 10. It says, Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was so severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know you are a beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. When the Egyptians, uh, or, then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Verse 14, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys and male and female servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. <laughs> Let's pray. God, I ask for your spirit to work in all of our hearts as we think about in our own world where we think we know better, where our wisdom, we try to cause to supersede what we know about our faith, our lens of who you are. So I pray, God, as we begin this series counting chickens, we will begin to see in a different way a step we need to take in the midst of trying to walk out what you desire in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Now keep in mind, in Genesis chapter 12, just before this, there was a promise given to Abram. And that promise is that he will be the father of many nations and that he would you know, establish this land and peoples and, and, and he would end up having a, a child that would be the heir of the promise and all this stuff. And then we get to this point and that's where we see in verse 12, there's a, or sorry, verse 10, there's a famine. And so Abram ends up going down to Egypt instead of going to that promised land. As he was about to enter, he says to his wife, hey, Let's play like we're not married. Now, I don't know if you've thought this through at all, but if you're married out there, can you imagine sitting down with your spouse and going, hey, why don't we act like we're not married in this context because it'll go better for us? Like if I said that to my wife, it would not be a great situation. Hey, let's take off our rings. Let's just play like we don't really know each other or just play like we're brother and sister. 
That would not be a great picture for you. I don't, or for me, I don't know how well that would go for you. But that's what he does. And he does it because obviously he wants to spare his life. So they get into this area and Pharaoh notices, wow, Sarah's beautiful and, 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 and ends up bringing her in to, to court her and to marry her. And Abram's like, well, it is what it is. I mean, at least I'm not dead. I mean, you want to talk about a low bar of marriage. Like, hey, let's deny that we know each other. And apparently you're going to end up having to fiddle around with Pharaoh, but it is what it is. I mean, at least I'm not dead. That's a pretty low bar if you ask me. Now, in the beginning as this story progresses, it actually kind of shows us that, that Abram starts reaping the benefits of this lie. And it says that because of Sarah, he ended up getting all, you know, donkeys and, and camels and all this stuff. And he was blessed at the beginning. And it seemed like it was a great, this is working out awesome. Of course, his wife's also living with Pharaoh. And, and while they haven't consummated their quote unquote marriage yet, that's what's going on. And he's letting this happen. Like, wow, look at all this stuff I'm getting. And I don't know where Sarah's at and hope everything's okay, but it is what it is. This is a disaster. And then it says, when you get to verse 17, but the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. And, and Pharaoh sees what's going on. He's got some level of spirituality. He's not, he's not, you know, atheistic. He believes in these higher powers. And so he goes, look, there's, there's this woman that's come in. And ever since she's come in, we've had problems in our household. And there's this, this weird issue with famine or disease. And all of a sudden, he puts two and two together. It's because of her. And somehow, through some supernatural circumstance, he understands, like, wait a minute. It, it, you know, Abram has lied. That's not okay. And he calls them in and he rebukes Abraham. Look at verse 18. What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Like, why don't you just bring the truth up from the very beginning? Well, you know why? Because he was trying to protect himself. Because he was trying to go about things his way. Well, if God's promised that I've got a future, I've got to lie my way to get to that future. How many things have you and I lied about? How many ways have we bent the truth? How many times have we taken matters into our own hands, trying to do things our way in order to get to where God wants us to go? But do you understand that that mathematically doesn't work? God's plan plus my way doesn't equal God's, uh, God's fulfillment. It doesn't work that way. And yet here we are constantly struggling with, well, here's what I believe God has for me. Here's some of the dreams or hopes or goals, or here's what I anticipate, but I'm going to lie my way there. I'm going to connive my way there. I'm going to act like someone else or, or, or do this thing that, that, that isn't quite right, but I'm sure it's going to get me where I'm supposed to go. That doesn't equate. We see it over and over in scripture. In fact, remember I said, write down Genesis 12, write down Genesis 16. Do you know what happens in Genesis 16? In Genesis chapter 16, they, they continue on in their journey. They're not in Egypt anymore with Pharaoh. And all of a sudden, they can't have kids. And what does Sarah say to Abraham? You know, she says, well, look, it looks like we're not going to be able to have any kids. Why don't you go sleep with my concubine? Why don't you go sleep with, with my maidservant? And Abraham's like, well, I mean, gosh, I guess if that's what I got to do, it's what I got to do. What? God has already said more than once, by the way, you will have a child and that child will be the answer to the promise I've given you. 
And you and Sarah are going to have this child. And, and they take matters into their own hands once again. And Abraham sleeps with Hagar and they have a child named Ishmael. And the whole thing is a disaster. Now Genesis chapter 20. What happens in Genesis chapter 20? Well, guess what? Here's Abraham and Sarah and they're traveling once again trying to get to that promised land. And what happens? In Genesis 20, they end up with all these different kings of all these different regions together as they're traveling. And he's like, oh no, here we go again. You're really beautiful. They're probably gonna wanna tell you what, why don't we do this again? Why don't you say you're my sister? Did he not learn the first time? Did he not take it in the first time? Hey, he blew it. He should have told the truth the first time. And yet here he is in chapter 20. And, and it says, um, you know, what, what have you, uh, let's see, chapter 20, it says, then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that never should be done. Abram did it again. Now, we're not done, because remember I said write down Genesis 26? Well, what happens in Genesis 26? Well, now the focus has shifted from Abraham to Isaac. And in Genesis 26, verse 1, it says there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, don't go down to Egypt in the land where, uh, live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay and do this for a while and I will be with you and I will bless you for to you and your descendants I will give, here's a promise, all these lands um, on oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed near Gerar. Okay, Abimelech is king in Gerar. Keep that in mind. Now look at verse seven. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. This is Abraham's son, Isaac, and, and what you could say is this is like a generational curse, this need to lie, this need to deceive, this need to try to do things their way. Both of them had received God's promise about offspring and, and the nations being blessed and a land that they were promised, all these things. And yet every time in the midst of what they hoped and dreamed and were looking forward to, they felt the need to lie to get to that place. And all three times they were called out on it. And by the way, two times in Genesis 20, Abimelech comes to Abraham and says, why did you lie to me? And in Genesis 26, Abimelech, the exact same king, comes to Isaac and says, why did you lie to me? Like, will your family not learn anything? Would you stop trying to shame us and make us do terrible things because of the lies you're telling to spare yourselves? Knock this stuff off. See, it's a message for you and for me that for every single one of us, there's some sense of something in the future that we anticipate, something in the future that we look forward to, something in the future that maybe you've got a dream, a goal, something you're, you're thinking, I'm hoping for, and yet there's a process to getting to that place that, that does not include lying and conniving and, and doing things your way to get you there. 
because that doesn't work. It's the lesson from Abraham. It's the lesson from Isaac in these verses. Abimelech said to Isaac, what is this you have done? One of the men might have slept with your wife and you would have brought this guilt upon us. The danger when we choose our way and our time is this, we miss what God wants. But the shame is this, not only do we miss what God wants, we end up reaping the consequences of our actions. And if you think about it in your life, and I think about it in my life, here's a simple question. When you look back, where have you forfeited God's plans because you tried to do it your way? Where have I forfeited God's plans because I tried to do things my way? Another simple question. Where have we reaped the consequences because we lacked self-control? See, the simple truth is this. We don't always understand God's ways. We don't always understand God's plan. And when that happens, we must be cautious of trying to do things in our own power. Well, if God's not going to make it happen, see, there's something that goes on in this in-between. From now to when a promise, a dream, a hope, a goal is fulfilled. And in the in-between, it is a testing time of our faith. And yet we feel like, why am I spinning my wheels? Why am I, why am I waiting for all this? Let me try to do this. Let me try to do that. When at times God is simply saying, will you trust me in the in-between and not take things into your own hands? See, we feel this need to take action, to do something, to stop waiting. See, it's something I believe about our nation the other day. I'm pained just like probably many of you are about what went on in our nation's capital just a few days ago. And there are people that have said this hasn't happened since you know, 1814 during the War of 1812 when, when you know, they came in and ransacked the capital. And yet here we are watching the news and there's individuals that think they're leading a revolution in this time because of all the injustice they feel like has happened. And yes, there have been processes of appeals and going before courts and, and hearing judges. And, and I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in, in my opinion and your opinion about the whole thing, but what I do believe is that it's a group of people that are trying desperately to take things into their own hands and they're making a mess of the nation that we love because of it. And I am pained by that, but to me, it's exactly that. It's, it's, it's this weird in waiting time. Look, injustice does happen. Things go on in our world that we don't understand. And we look at it and go, well, they were robbed of this and that happened. All these things go on in all kinds of contexts. But do you and I then rise up and feel like, well, because that happened, I'm not going to let it. I'm going to get mine. Where is that in Scripture? Where is that in the life of Jesus who's supposed to be our example? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with suffering. It says he was stricken by God, afflicted. Injustice happened to Jesus to the degree that he was killed. And at one point, Peter pulls out a sword when, when, when Jesus is, is, is going to be arrested in the garden. And he lops off a guy's ear and Jesus says, stop it. Am I leading a rebellion? What about scripture that reminds us the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve 
What about the fact that Scripture reminds us to leave room for God to work instead of taking matters into our own hands? In other words, when you feel like something, like doing something, and it goes against what you know about your faith, here's the challenge I want to leave you with today. When we think we know better, we ought to think twice. You write that down. When you and I think we know better than what God has to say about who he is and how he works, when we think we know better, we ought to think twice. If you've ever had a, had a, a child and you've ever had this conversation, you know, I see what you're about to do. I would think twice about doing that. What is the parent saying? The parent is actually saying, don't do that. You're going to reap the consequences of doing that if you continue down that. Don't do it. Think, I would think twice. For you and I, as mature adults, well, who is there to tell me what to do? I'm my own person. I'm an adult. I can make my decisions. Great. But would you just stop and think twice before you take part in whatever you're about to take part in? Before you do whatever it is you're about to do? Think twice. Because there's something important about stopping in the midst of the heat of passion, in the heat of a moment, in the heat of emotions that get us all riled up. There's something about stopping to think twice that actually can save us. Like I said a little bit ago, we don't always understand what God is up to. And in this moment today, I'm not going to claim to know. Because when I look at scripture, and if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write these down. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory. Paul is saying there are things we can't even fathom that God is up to. There are ways that God works that we can't even comprehend in a good way. Paul is saying it. That's a good thing that God works higher than us. What if God did everything we think he should do? What kind of disaster would we be in if that actually happened? Some of the most famous verses in in, in Christendom, some of the most famous verses in, in Christianity today, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. What about that? What about trusting in what God is up to that we don't always understand? In, in 2 Peter 3, verse 8 and 9, but do not forget this one thing, my dear friends, With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why does Peter write those words? Because what he's saying to you and to me is that in the midst of God's patience, it's the ability for you and I to share his love with a world that desperately needs the work of Jesus Christ in their lives. Go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Actually, verse, uh, verse 7. Verse 6, sorry. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, 
Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, listen to these words, it is not for you to know. In other words, as followers of Christ, we're not always going to understand what God is doing, why God is doing it, how God is working in the midst of sometimes difficult, terrible, tragic, unjust circumstances. It's a song we've sung for a long time now. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, never stop working. Are we going to believe it or not? Are we going to lean into it or not? Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the days or times the Father has set by his own authority. And then he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you know what he's saying here? You're not going to know everything. You're not going to understand everything. But why don't you go out and shine my light filled with the Holy Spirit? It's the same thing Peter said. P Peter said, don't forget, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. He says the Lord's not slow in keeping his promises. Some, but what he's doing is, in his patience, he's, he's hoping you'll go out and make a difference. Go out and shine the light. Go out and help people see Jesus. The exact same thing Luke wrote in Acts chapter 1 is what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3. You may not know everything about everything that God is doing, but what you need to be doing is going out and shining light, shining hope, extending grace. That's what we're called to do. As we wait with our dreams and hopes and goals in our hands, let's choose to trust that God's got a process and not get ahead of him. When we face that moment when we feel like maybe we know better, maybe in my impatience and my frustration, maybe in my stubbornness, you know what, I'm just going ahead. And I'm going to do this and whatever happens, happens because I'm tired of waiting, because I don't see God working, because I don't understand what he's up to. That's not your deal. And that's where we need to stop and think twice. Should I go ahead? Should I continue forward on what I want to do? Thinking twice. Why would I do it my way? Thinking twice is stopping to ask, why would I go ahead and do this my way? Thinking twice is stopping to ask, what will doing it my way lead to? Maybe you need to write those down. Get out your pencil. I'll repeat them real quick. Thinking twice means stopping to ask yourself, why would I do it my way? Is it because I'm being impatient? Is it because I feel frustrated? Is it because I'm stubborn and I'm going to get mine and do mine and do what I think I should do? And second question, where will doing it my way lead? See, here's a great verse to memorize, and maybe this is the first verse of the year that you can put to Scripture memory. Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary in well-doing, my friends, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. What pain could be saved by thinking twice? What consequences could be avoided by thinking twice? As we're waiting for whatever chickens in our lives to hatch, here's a simple idea from a devotional I read a few weeks ago right before Christmas. 
It's often in our periods of waiting that God prepares us for the plans and promises he has for us. One of the best ways to pass the test of preparation is thinking twice. Don't be impulsive. Be patient. Think twice. Jesus, we need your help. In a world where we can feel so anxious that we've got to do something. When we feel this anxiety, I don't understand, I don't get it. It's not a time to, to jump in and, and make a move. In our impulsiveness, in our impatience, in our stubbornness, or even in our selfishness. But instead, think twice. Stop. Think. Consider. Ask ourselves the questions. Where will this lead? What are the consequences of these actions? Is it right? Is it worth it? God, as we think about the chickens in our future, as we think about those things we dream about and hope about and set goals towards and we anticipate God, it's in the waiting before that. Who are we becoming and what are we learning? And that God in Galatians 6, 9, we would be reminded, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. If we don't give up trusting in you and your way, God help us in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you wanna keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.